Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, featuring your host, Michael Lieben. Our program is designed to empower the bereaved community with information and stories from those who have suffered the most terrible loss. Michael himself, a bereaved father, will be meeting with people from around the world to share and to draw hope from their experiences. And now, here is Michael Lieben. Welcome, friends, to the fifth episode of the first season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower bereaved members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's program is Jewish Observance of Grief. Here with us today to discuss this topic is our guest, Rabbi Daniel Lieben. Rabbi Lieben was ordained by the Jewish Theological Seminary in 1983 and became the spiritual leader of Temple Israel of Natick, Massachusetts, in 1991. He is a past president of the Massachusetts Board of Rabbis and of the New England Region Rabbinical Assembly. Dan has made the exploration of prayer as a spiritual practice a cornerstone of his rabbinic work. Dan has taught meditation to rabbis at the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. And this year, Dan is completing Bechol Avavacha, a two-year training program in spiritual direction, and is co-facilitating a wise aging group at Temple Israel of Natick. Dan also teaches Israeli folk dancing, and he likes to run. Dan is married to Fran Robbins Lieben, and together they have five grown children and eight grandchildren. But most importantly for our purposes today, Dan is my brother, and collectively we are bereaved of our father and my daughter, his niece, Liel. So Dan, thanks very much for coming today. Thanks so much for having me here. It's a pleasure, and, and you know, I love all my guests, but today I just feel it's completely special and very, very personal, so I hope we can get through this. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the mechanics of Jewish mourning, because it's very different than what a lot of people know if they're not Jewish. So the first thing I want to talk about is, what is sitting Shiva? What does it mean, literally, and, and how does it work? Well, literally, Shiva means seven, because it refers to the seven-day period that begins from the time of the burial of a loved one. The period before that is not considered sitting Shiva. That's considered uh, technically a period of such intense grief mm. that a person is not expected to fulfill any aspect of Jewish law. Right. But once a burial occurs, from that time for the next seven days, there's a whole series of laws and regulations that shape those days to lift a person out of the uh, the chaos that he or she may be feeling mm -hmm. by giving him or her very specific structure. So, for example, during that seven-day period, mm -hmm. a person is supposed to stay in their house rather than leaving their house, even in order to attend a required uh, worship service. Mm -hmm. Rather than going to the community for a worship service, the community brings that service into the home for the mourner. Mm -hmm. That's particularly important because... With Shiva begins a practice also uh, that's very well known among uh, people uh, around this topic. It's this, the, the, uh, the practice of saying Kaddish, a memorial prayer. A person is obligated to say Kaddish, this memorial prayer, every day. And if you want to be very traditional about it, twice a day for at least 30 days, depending on who you're mourning for. Mm. But it begins with Shiva. So for those seven days, rather than go to the synagogue to say that prayer... Mm -hmm. Once or twice a day, depending on your community, the community will bring the people to your house so that the prayer you can say that prayer mm -hmm. um, there rather than leaving. That to me is a fascinating thing. It, it, what it says psychologically is that during this time when you really are feeling so removed from the world, you're um, you don't have to worry about the world. That's so true. Yeah. 
And uh, even simple things, uh, for example, how you normally look or dress. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when I leave my house, there's a mirror in the hallway, and I always instinctively (laughs) check it just to see how I look as I'm leaving the house to face the world. And I think I'm probably not alone in that. Probably not. But during Shiva, you don't leave the house, so there's no need to do that. And you cover the mirrors. It is a tradition, yes. It's an old tradition to cover the mirrors. And my interpretation of that custom is precisely for the reason that it you you take that normal preoccupation with appearances and just take it off the table. Uh, partly because the truth is you look terrible when you're a mourner. You're going through grief mm-hmm. and you look like hell. And you don't want to scare yourself <laughs> by looking at your, seeing this, this reflection in the mirror, which can be really quite 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 um uh shocking uh also because during the during the week of shiva the law certain rules apply about personal appearance mm-hmm. um our ancient rabbi said that one wouldn't one was um one should not bathe during the week of shiva mm-hmm. uh that's not so observed today because our standard of hygiene is different but it is fairly um, common that during Shiva you don't, actually for example don't put on makeup Mm -hmm. uh, you don't shave Mm -hmm. uh, you don't put on new clothes as a matter of fact if you're wearing a a torn torn garment, a torn shirt because the the first rule the first obligation that you have when you begin Shiva or even earlier when you hear of a death Mm -hmm. is to say a particular blessing and to tear the garment that you're wearing. Uh, In the Orthodox community, that's actually the shirt that you're wearing or maybe cutting a tie or cutting the corner of a jacket. Mm -hmm. Uh, My uh, shirt was actually cut. Yes, well, you know, when when, when Dad died, we were here in Jerusalem for the burial, and in Jerusalem, that's all that's done is to actually tear the shirt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, that was striking for me because in my community in the United States, outside the Orthodox community, we'd either cut a tie or put a ribbon on the rabbi will will give to the mourners a ribbon a and then cut the ribbon. Yeah. So that's a very different way of doing well, it. Well, and, and that's important that we, we we talk about that that in different communities around the world there are variations of a lot of these things, a lot of these traditions. So in Israel, where I live, um, the rabbi comes up when you know just before the 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 ceremony, but just before the burial. Takes out these really big scissors, mm-hmm. puts his hand down your collar. Yeah, and and you know and and people yeah. know this in advance. They wear shirts that they really don't like, and and boom, they, he just cuts this big slash down my shirt. Yeah, when when I came yeah. here for for Dad's funeral, um, I came dressed the way you would dress for a funeral in America. Oops, <laughs> a suit and a tie for the funeral for my father's funeral. And, nice shirt. Uh, and and uh, so Menachem, one of our brothers-in-law, said, "Oh, it's okay, Danny. I'll give you an old T-shirt that you can wear." Right. tear instead I said Menachem I don't think I'm tearing somebody else's old t-shirt at my father's funeral. yeah I think you're right <laughs> and so all I did was ruin his shirt but that's fine that's fine it's just a tell me something else um, about the different stages of Shiva the first few days the next few days yeah so when you're sitting Shiva of course uh, you're absolved of any responsibility of uh, of um, uh, entertaining the people who come into your house. Mm-hmm. So other people might prepare to make sure that, for example, there's a coffee or a tea and something for people to grab when they come in. But mm-hmm. it's not a party. It's a time to allow yourself to be with your grief. And, you know, 
I, sure, I think all of us who have suffered grief, suffered loss, know that grief comes and goes in waves. Oh, yeah, for sure. So for the seven days that you're sitting in your house and you're not allowed to go out, we try to structure the time for you so you'll be aware and you'll notice when the grief is is when that when the grief is rolling in and when it's rolling out. We're going to talk about that, I think, in the third segment because that's really. That, yeah. is, that is the best description I've ever heard of it. Um, but but let's, in the time that's left for this section, ask, let's talk about a little bit uh, about Kaddish. You've said that's a memorial prayer that you would say two or three times a day, depending on how often you, you, you pray. But why, for example, is do we say Kaddish for our parents for 11 months, but for children and for siblings and for spouses only 30 days? That's really an excellent question, but first let's back up a minute and just explain to your audience that these rules of mourning that begin with the seven days of Shiva, <clears throat> once Shiva ends, some of those laws continue on. Uh -huh, so okay. after the seven days, you're now allowed to go back to work and go back to your regular life. You have to kind of embrace life. Right. And there's a custom actually of taking a, an intentional walk around right. the block. Yep, as a, making this public statement that I'm taking this piece of grief, this this place of grief, and I'm encircling it so I can, it's not going away, but I'm putting it in a certain place because now it's time for me to go out into the world. So I go back to work, I go back to many of my activities, but I continue not to shave, I continue to say the Kaddish, the memorial prayer, which means I have to find time during my day to make it to the synagogue either once or twice a day, and mm -hmm. other things like that. So the significance of, uh, I think you wanted me to talk a little bit about the significance of saying this memorial prayer. Yeah. First of all, you know, Mike, people don't understand this unless they understand the Aramaic in which this ancient prayer is written, that even though it's called a memorial prayer, a mourner's prayer, there's no no mention of death in the prayer. Right, right. People are surprised by that. The prayer is actually about uh, a sanctification and glorification of God, an affirmation of God's glory in the world. So does a mourner say this to sort of say, despite my pain, well, I still glorify God? I think that's my interpretation. It's 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 a way of saying during this period when the light when when it really feels like the you know the 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 ground is falling out from beneath me during this period when I'm feeling everything is upside down. I'm going to say these words to remind myself that a time will come again when I will be able to affirm this that there is order in the world again. This is so gearing us up for the last part of the program and I really want to hold it. And as it turns out, now we have to take a break. So, when we get back, we'll be talking with Daniel about how to help loved ones who are Jewish during their mourning process. What can I do? My Jewish friend is in mourning. What can I do to help him? And that's when we come back. Hi, I'm John Montez of NBC's hit acapella show, The Sing-Off. In acapella music, it takes a team to create a sound that many will enjoy, just like it'll take a team to help my good friend Miles Schweitzer, an HLHS survivor. Let's help Miles fulfill his dream and make a big enough sound to bring awareness to congenital heart disease. Please visit him at GoFundMe.com backwards slash The Miles Project. Miles with the Y. Again, that's GoFundMe.com The Miles Project. This is for Miles. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at Michael at HeartToHeartWithMichael.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Today we're talking with Rabbi Daniel Lieben, who has graciously given us a brief overview of what the process of mourning looks like when you are Jewish. 
Now we're going to talk with Daniel about helping those we love who are Jewish through their mourning period. But Daniel, before we do that, I want to finish up something from the last segment. And it's important to me because I'm a bereaved father. Why do we say Kaddish for our parents for 11 months, but for our spouses and for our children and for our siblings only 30 days? That's a very good question. And I think the answer to that is that the rabbis felt that there was a special relationship that one has with one's parents because mm. they're the people who gave you life. And so that puts them in a, u- a unique position. Now, that's hard for us to understand today because for us to lose any loved one, particularly to lose a child, mm-hmm. uh, seems so overwhelming that the idea of having to cut that period short it somehow makes you, you can feel that you're being deprived of something. And I'm wondering if that was your experience when Liel passed away. It was. And I asked a rabbi, what, is it 30 days or 11 months? He said, well, it's really only 30 days, but I've never told anyone not to go 11 months if you want to. Well, that's very good. And I, I would say the same thing to families. I mean, very often, for example, uh, there will be people in my congregation who will continue saying Kaddish for 11 months for a husband or, or a wife even though they're not obligated to. And I would, again, never tell them to do that because there's something so healing and cathartic about Mm -hmm. the process of being in community with others who have suffered a loss and by having a daily ritual practice as a way of expressing your grief. I'll give you another example of of the way in which some mourning customs have changed because of our changed sensibilities. Um, In traditional Jewish law, there's no formal mourning for losing a child who has died before the age of 30 days. I knew that. I knew that. And that's amazing. Because... A, 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 a child who was actually born into the world but dies before but until we he or she reaches the age of 30 days it's not considered viable in uh, in Mishnaic law which is crazy for us to think about I know, I know. so today we actually encourage parents who've lost infants to mourn that loss and to take on traditional mourning customs even though traditional Jewish law does not require them to do that that's amazing because a recent guest of ours in fact our, our mm-hmm. previous guest was a grandmother and we were talking about mourning a child who lived for 12 hours mm. need to be understanding and receptive to the needs of human beings that's totally comforting yeah. to know as a parent I can tell mm-hmm. you that's just amazing now I'd like to move on now with this segment a lot of our listeners are obviously not Jewish and the question now comes up, my Jewish friend is in mourning. What can I do? What do I, I, do I visit during the mourning period? Is that for Jews only? Is that for everybody? Who comes to a house of Shiva? Great question. Everyone should come to a house of Shiva. And you don't have to know anything about the Jewish tradition. You don't have to know any special customs. Because Jews ask me the same questions all the time. What's the best way? People feel sometimes embarrassed Uh, about Mm. going to a house of Shiva because they don't know how to deal with grief. And that doesn't have to do with whether you're Jewish or not. That's really just human. And and what I tell people is it's really fine. What you're doing is you are you you are bringing a ministry of presence. Wow. Uh, and, and that's all it takes. You walk in a door and you're just there. And sometimes that's all a person needs is to just know you're there for them. And the words are just uh, superfluous. The words are secondary. In, in a previous episode, we, we spoke with a minister and he said something along the same lines. I had brought up Job's mm. friends and not being very helpful. And he said, well, in fact, they were helpful for about a week. Mm-hmm. They sat there and said nothing. And I remarked, well, that week that they were there, that was the week of Shiva. Mm. And, and they said nothing. And that was probably the most productive thing they could have done. When we were sitting for Liel, we were shocked. We had no idea. Hundreds of people came through that door every single day for a week. 
But just seeing people, just people saying, yeah, I know this is bad for you. Also, I think there is um, a skill and there is an art to this once people feel comfortable with their role um, as a comforter mm-hmm. of mourners. For example, I've seen Shiva homes where it's really not working. It's not working. There's so much embarrassment around death that it feels that no one wants to talk about it feels more like a party people are talking loudly they're trying to they think they can distract you from your grief through laughter and it's just horrible it's it's not the way it's supposed to work well i actually have to disagree with that because we talked before about different stages of that week and i from my own experience with with dad and with liel and watching our parents Mm -hmm. go through their shivas for their parents i think that by about the fourth or fifth day it's a laugh riot i think that there's something necessary um and i think that speaks to the eternal optimism of judaism i think if you can't find something to smile about oh i agree with you i absolutely agree with you but i want to go back to the beginning let's say it's it's the day after someone has suffered a loss Mm. the best way to approach it is to come in and you can do it through two things you can just say I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And then just leave it up to the mourner to decide what way to take the conversation or not. Perfect. Perfect. The other thing that is very useful is to be able to say if there's nothing going on and you feel like you want to move it somewhere is to give the mourner an opportunity to talk about the person they've lost if they want to. So, for example, sometimes I'll come in and I'll say, tell me about your mother or mm-hmm. this. You know, can you show me a picture of your mom? Are they ready to do that? Yes. Yeah. If they don't want you, they'll, they'll tell you that. But mm-hmm. most often people uh, are relieved and, and, and hungry to be able to say something. Uh, and what I discovered as a mourner myself when I was sitting for dad was that people came and asked me questions about him. And I was able to reconnect and bring back to my consciousness so a fullness of who he was from the years before he was sick. And Excellent. that wouldn't have happened if people were not skillful enough to come in and say, you know, I didn't know about, I didn't know your dad. Can you tell me a little bit about him? And and that was the most healing part of Shiva for me. I think you're right. There's all kinds of customs that not everybody knows everybody else's customs. Right. And as many different communities of Jews as there are, and there are Jews in every country on earth, mm-hmm. there are that many different customs and, and, and traditions for mourning. And once again, we're up against that heartbreak, so please don't leave because we will be right back. And I want to thank Daniel for coming to Heart to Heart with Michael and sharing with us how we can support our Jewish loved ones when they are grieving. I know that many struggle with what to do and will gain insight from what you share here. In our final segment, I'd like to talk with you about the psychological and spiritual impact of Jewish mourning. And we'll do that, I think, through personal experiences and stories that we can share about ourselves. And when we come back, that's where we'll be. Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Heart to Heart with Michael is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. 
If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to our program, Heart to Heart with Michael. Today we're talking with Rabbi Daniel Lieben. He has dedicated his life to understanding and helping others to understand prayer and spirituality from a Jewish perspective. We've talked about the Jewish process of mourning and how we can be supportive of our Jewish loved ones during a loss. But now I'd like to shift our focus to the psychological impact of mourning and what we do with our spirituality during times of grief. And I'll, I'll kick it off with a couple of thoughts and then we'll see where that goes. As a parent of a, of a child who was very sick, I, I felt that I was under the specter that at any, at any moment we could lose her. And so I had spent probably more time than most parents do thinking about the end and what it would do to me. And I was convinced that I was going to break with God. I said, this is it. If he takes her away from me, I'll be so angry and, and we'll just be done. And that did not happen. And I think the reason it didn't happen is that the structure of Shiva and the 30 days, the structure of the whole mourning period, sort of recognizes in advance you're going to be angry. And that whole process is it surrounds you and holds you and says, you want to go down? Fine, let's go down together. And you slide down. And then at the bottom, it goes back up. And during the course of that week and and somewhat into the 30 days, it lets you go down as far as you want. And then it brings you back up into the world in a way that that's over. And yes, you have a terrible loss. And yes, you'll never get her back. And it'll always be difficult. But you have a way to pack it up and keep it on your side and keep going that you didn't think you'd have before. Your thoughts? The question of anger is such a personal issue, Mike. I I know that some people who go, as they're going through the process, um, the words of the mourner's Kaddish, which are words of praise, ring so harshly false to them that all they feel is anger for a good long time. Um, But you're right. At a certain point, that changes and shifts. I remember feeling when I was coming to Morning Minion, which is the morning service of the synagogue, where at the end of which the Kaddish prayer is said, I remember feeling really angry and annoyed with everyone in in that service. This person was too loud. This person was too this. the, The leader was too fast. Everything was, and it took me a few days, or uh, maybe at least a week, until I realized it's not them; it's me. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, this is my grief. Yeah. This is my grief, and I'm externalizing it through into anger at everybody around me in this space. And then, it's good you, that they don't know. It's good that they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to a point where you realize that actually. All of these people here, this this group of people that's bothering to get up early in the morning so that these prayers can be said, these are people who are holding me through this. Exactly. Many of these people are people who are also here because they're in grief also, or because they finished their period of mourning, but they want to be able to make sure that there's a required number of 10 people there that morning so that the memorial prayer, so the Kaddish can be said. For someone else who might need it. And they're holding that space for other people because other people held it for them. I can't tell you how many people reconnect to the synagogue and even become synagogue members because the synagogue was there for them 
by just by the, by in this way by holding a morning That's service for them. Totally interesting you say that because I've always had an opposite theory. Mm-hmm. That when you're young, the synagogue is your bar mitzvah place. And then it's the place where you get married. And then you have children and you name a child there. And that child has a bar mitzvah there. And the child gets married there. And your life and your life cycle is based around all of these happy things that happen in the synagogue. And then somebody dies and you say Kaddish. And that's when I find a lot of people, after they say Kaddish, disappear. Because the synagogue now represents to them their pain. No, I don't believe that's true at all. I think it's really quite the opposite. The drop-off is earlier. People in America, anyway, drop off that's from synagogue communal life for all kinds of reasons. But usually as their children grow up and they, and, and they, need, they feel like they need community less. But it's mourning that brings them back. That's interesting. Because I never would have thought many, that. many, many years. Yeah. I never would have thought that. Yeah. And now let's, let's talk about uh, your personal experiences mourning dad because – I was joking in the break, basically, um, we're now going to say that everything we said in the first part is wrong. It's not, but tell well, me what made your, 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 your shiva for dad different than mine. The thing about death is that it never comes at the right time. We know that. Right. So when our dad died, uh, it was um, four days before my daughter Talia's wedding. Wow. And so mom had already made the trip to the United States along with our sisters. And they were there and we're all ready for this wedding. And then we get this terrible phone call that dad has died. So the next morning, me, mom, our two sisters, we're all on a plane on our way back again for a funeral. funeral. And the funeral in Israel, funerals happen immediately. So we landed Thursday morning. Sometimes the same day, by the way. A nighttime funeral, I don't recommend. I've seen them. They're they're horrible. I know, but that's the way it's often done here. Here, at least, they waited for the mourners to come back from across the the ocean. We flew in on Thursday morning. The funeral was Thursday evening. Thursday night, I was on a plane back to the United oh. States because wow. Sunday was a wedding. I remember joking, you were like, you flew in like a rock star, did the gig, and left. Yeah, so I'll tell you, it was such a, a, a rush. You know, when when you're caught in grief, sometimes uh, you're so confused, you don't cry. Right. And I don't remember crying all that day. I think the first time I cried was in the airport on my way home because mm. I got to the airport and I'm at passport control and the woman is looking at my passport, this this uh, you know, woman on the other side of the counter. And she looks at my passport. She says, you just got here this morning and you're just leaving now. Yeah. I pointed to my torn shirt ah. and I said, I suffered a loss this stranger in, 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 in passport control reaches across the counter, touches my hand, and the English translation, she said, was um, an idiomatic phrase that in English is translated only for, for, for good things, of simchas. You know, we should have, we should have right. good things in our lives, not bad right. things. That's when I finally cried. That's what oh. what what, what uh, the experience that. was. Yeah, I don't think I ever got to tell you that story. No. So yeah. so okay. So you you fly in Thursday, Wednesday. You're out by Thursday. No, you fly in Thursday morning. We have the funeral. You're out by Thursday night. Friday is a short day because on Shabbat we don't sit shiva, and then Sunday is a wedding, and the rabbi's daughter. So everybody in the world is there. What do you do? So this is what I decided. You know, in Jewish law. Well, in Jewish tradition, there's a story that you probably know. The question is asked, what happens when a funeral procession and a wedding procession meet at a street corner? Who goes goes first? first. (laughs) And the answer of the rabbis is, you allow the wedding procession to go first. And I've always understood this story to not 
simply be about a technical answer to a specific question. No, of course not. Of course not. This is a philosophical question that says that the way we lead our lives needs to be in such a way that the joy, that the affirmation of life, that the wedding needs to take precedence. Absolutely. So I felt even as the father, uh, as the son suffering a loss, I asked myself the question. Now, for the last three days, I've been wearing this torn shirt that we tore at the cemetery uh, in Jerusalem. Should I wear this torn shirt with my tuxedo at my daughter's wedding? And I said, there's no way I'm going to look like the mourner in my daughter's wedding pictures. And I thought to myself, I knew what dad would have wanted. There's no way he would have wanted me to do that. so I, I took off the mourning shirt, the torn shirt, put on the, 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 the shirt of the, the, the celebrating father, and we did a wedding. I remember you said you didn't, yeah. you didn't want her wedding to turn into a, a major shiva call for exactly. the congregation. All because of people who it's the rabbi's daughter. Yeah, sure. And at a certain point during the reception, there's a lot of dancing at the wedding, and I was dancing. And someone comes up to me afterwards and said, Dan, looking at you dance... I could see that you were channeling your father. Oh, that's really nice. So sweet. And I really felt that that was true because I knew how much he wanted to be at that wedding. I knew how much he loved family celebrations. And since he wasn't there to celebrate, I felt like I was celebrating for him. And and this would have been the first one of your children's weddings that he wasn't going to go to anyway because he was too sick. So I think it really was nice that you did that. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful story and a nice way for us to end our program. So thank this you. concludes our episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. Again, I want to thank Daniel for sharing with us. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I hope that what he's shared with us has brought some hope to those who are listening. Please join me or the Heart to Heart with Michael team in Pal Talk every week following the program. And I'll be with you again soon. And until then, remember, it's okay to breathe. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories. If you would like to continue today's discussion, please join us right after the program in the Hug Podcast Chat Room on Pal Talk. 